The scripture reading for this morning is, is actually a, a string of texts, so you're not going to be able to follow along. Um, in the Bible, you would spend too much time uh, flipping pages, so you can just listen, and I'd encourage you to just ponder. Um, basically, it's a string of texts that talk about um, what God has done to give us life and then deal with the fact that death came in as a result of sin. And so you could think about it this way in light of the song that we just heard. Everything begins in a garden with a tree of life. And everything ends, actually, it's really the beginning, um, with a tree of life again in Revelation. And then there's this tree of life in the middle, this mercy tree that Josh just sung about. So keep that in mind as we consider the thoughts about death and life and those themes throughout the whole of Scripture. So listen along as I read through these texts, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we'll dive into our passage for this morning. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden and made every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely eat die. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. God raised Him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for Him to be held in its power. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is eternal life, that they know you. Jesus praying to his Father, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. But God 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Then I turned to see one like a son of man, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit Yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and night will be no more, and they will reign forever and ever. Okay, so this is like the best day of the year for Christians. I even wear a tie, you know. It's really rare, um, yellow. So anyway, but we also, I mean, that's why we meet on Sundays, right? Because it's a rehearsal every week of the fact that we serve a risen Savior. So good day, good news, but we can carry this all the way through the year. So as we, as we look at a passage in the New Testament, um, the book of Ephesians, in just a minute here, I want you to start thinking Um, along these lines. Let me ask you a couple questions. What is your story? What's your story? You know, sometimes people say that kind of like, so what's your story? And what are the highlights? What are the low points in your life? What comes to mind when someone asks you that question? Probably there's going to be stuff that comes to mind that you wouldn't be willing to share with most people. But what kind of stuff comes to mind when somebody asks you what your story is? Now, let me ask that question a little bit differently. I don't mean, sometimes we would say, you know, there was that great vacation or there was graduation day or there's the job that you landed or the promotion or the birth of a child. And as great as all of those things can be, I mean what's your story in relation to life's big questions. Like, what's your spiritual story? What's your spiritual biography? Where did I come from? What am I doing here? Why am I here? What is wrong with this world? What's wrong with me? I mean, are there any real solid answers to my deepest problems? What 
are even my deepest problems. Sometimes it's hard to put your finger on it. Where am I going? In this life and then beyond, is there any hope for life after death? Well, most likely none of us in this room, no offense, um, will have a biography written about us. But if someone did write one, what would yours say? What would they write about? So I, how, how about an obituary? I know they're terribly short, but sometimes there's a personal one that's read that's longer at the funeral itself. What would your obituary say? What's it going to say? So I went online last night and looked at some obituaries. And it took a little while for it to kind of hit me, but it was really sobering to look at face after face and story after story. These people were all just as alive as I am not long ago. They're all dead now. Boom, it's a big list of names. And I'm going to be dead someday too, someday pretty soon. Even if it's 50 years from now, it's coming soon. And you're going to die, you're going to be dead someday soon as well. So what's going to be said in your eulogies? When people talk about you after you die, after the funeral, what are they going to say about you? What's your story? In our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter okay, to the churches in Ephesus, the city in um, Asia Minor. Okay? He spent a lot of time there in his journeys in Ephesus. He spent a lot of time there. He knew many of these folks. And in this passage in Ephesians 2, he reminds them of their spiritual biography. Okay? So if you want to turn there, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the pew, like right kind of down and in front of you. Um, and you can find our passage on page 976. So if I say Ephesians 2, that's the chapter, that's the big number if you're not familiar with the Bible. That's okay. Don't feel awkward. So turn to page 976. The big number 2 is the chapter. The little numbers are the verse numbers. Okay? So we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 10 this morning. Okay? So again, Paul knew many of these folks, and in this passage, he reminds them of their spiritual biography. But this description, you know, it's true for all who belong to Jesus in Ephesus, but it's also true, this passage is true for all of us in Wilmington who belong to Jesus. And everywhere else around this globe, where people belong to Jesus. This is their, it's our spiritual biography. So let's look together at our story, okay? First three verses we'll read first and just consider the fact that we were all dead, okay? There's a, there's a little outline in your bulletin if you want to use that or the points will be up on the screen. So chapter two, verses one to three, look at how we were dead, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." 
Okay, it's not a flattering picture. Picture. If this is everybody's spiritual biography, then this is a pretty large pill for some people at least for their pride to swallow. Okay, trespasses, you know, any place where you see a sign, no trespassing, that means it's off limits. So God knows what's good for us, and he oftentimes says, no, this is not good for you. No trespassing, and we cross the line. That's one way to talk about sin, okay, where we break his law, where we miss the mark. There's all of that kind of thing. So this is who we are. This is our biography. We, we weren't born neutral. We weren't born good. We were born bent and broken. We were born spiritually stillborn. Okay, we are by nature cut off and separated from God. We're like cut flowers. We can look good for a little while, maybe smell nice, especially on Easter, but we're dead. And the reason is our sin. Okay, sin separates us from God. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah 59, it says, your, your sins, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. God is holy. We are not. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear, hear your prayers. Okay, so some of you might push back against that. And, and by the way, if that is your inclination to push back on some of these ideas, okay, glad you're here, here still, but just maybe it would be helpful to consider one thought especially on Resurrection Sunday. Um, it comes from a guy named Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Okay, so, you know, if he didn't rise from the dead, go ahead and head out to Brench. I mean... This is kind of a waste. Get in your comfy clothes and <laughs> go. Okay, but if, if this is true and if Jesus really rose from the dead, that changes everything. Okay, so we, you know, naturally, we kind of like to look around and grade ourselves on the curve. You know, we, we also have kind of selective memory about the past. We forget so much of what we've said and thought and done. And we downplay and justify so much more. It's just natural for us. If, if we think we need to justify ourselves, then we think of ourselves as pretty good people. At least better than most, right? And that game itself betrays our insecurity because we, we kind of have to make sure that we're better than at least some or most. It's actually a result of this deadness to God that we try to justify ourselves. If we're alive to him, then we're really aware of our sin and we're quick to call it what it is because you can't hide anything from God. And you know what? It, this may not bring the kind of crystal clear kind of shock therapy that actually encountering the living God would do, but I found that this, this question tends to sober people who think of themselves as pretty good. If you were to die and face God and he were to judge you, let's say this happened today, do you think that you would ask for justice or mercy? Would you ask for what you deserve or would you ask for mercy? I mean, I'm asking for mercy, okay? 
So by nature, we're all born bent and broken. We're dead in our sins. We're cut off from the life of God. We try to do it on our own. We, we want our own will to be done on earth as it is in our own minds. We want to be God. But it's even worse than that. Spiritual biography. It's even worse than that. God is the source of life. He's the source of our life. He made us. He knows what's best for us. He originally made everything good, good, good. And everything went wrong when Adam and Eve listened to the forked tongue deceit and the lies of Satan. Okay? God has an enemy, and he is alive and kicking still. Okay? He's a pied piper. He slithered into the garden, Garden of Eden, with his subtle God-smearing campaign. Okay? He subtly cast his vote of no confidence in God. He cleverly painted God as this cosmic killjoy. Did God really say, you, you can't? He must be holding out on you. He said you die? You're not going to die. He just doesn't want any competition. He's holding you down. He's holding you back. Hmm. Like, do those lies sound familiar? Same lies we've bought. That's what it means to be following the prince of the power of the air. I know that sounds like weird language for us, but that's what it's like. So why did I, think about your own spiritual biography, why did I walk that path for years and years, saying no to God and yes to sin, looking for satisfaction and approval? <laughs> think of like the Van Halen song, looking for love and all. No, everybody's looking for something, something to fill in the holes, Right? looking for love in all the wrong places, for approval, acceptance, love. I made an idol out of sports, pleasure. In effect, what we're doing is we're bowing down and worshiping these things, ordering our lives around them. So you might resonate with some of those patterns from your past or maybe even now. So why did I do that? Why did I kind of do the Heisman with God, you know, stiff-arm God? It's because I thought to do otherwise... And certainly, if I would actually follow Jesus, it would steal all my fun. I was such a patsy. I was led around by my nose. I bought such a bill of goods. And all it bought me, at best, was some cheap thrills. But in the long run, it only brought regret and shame and guilt. Anybody resonate with that spiritual biography? Listen to Romans 6. Paul said this, When you were slaves of sin, I was a slave if, I was, if I'm honest with myself, what fruit, what, what benefit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death? So, oh man, this language in the first three verses here, I lived in the passions of my flesh, my desires, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, you see yourself in that description? I hope you do. So your story is different than mine in the details, but the, it's, a, it's, it's the same at the root. And I don't even care if you became a Christian at the tender age of seven. This stuff is still true. This is spiritual biography for all of us. Okay, so don't think... Maybe this is helpful too. Don't think that transgressions and sins and you know, following Satan always looks like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You can sin and follow the prince of the power of the air on earth, or prince of the power of the air on the path of law, keeping just as much 
as on the path of law-breaking. Pride, self-righteousness, superiority complexes, looking down on others, they are just as demonic as perversion, addiction, whatever. Fill in the blank. So what's your spiritual biography? Details differ for each of us, but here is your spiritual biography for everybody in this room, whether you accept it or not. Verses 1 to 3 are true of all of us before Christ graciously invades our lives. And some of you might still be here. But maybe God has you here this morning because he wants the rest of this passage to be your spiritual biography as well. Because this is where it really gets good. So if you came in this morning and you're not sure why you're here, and maybe why you're here at church, but also just why you're here on earth, what life is all about, maybe today God will make the rest of this spiritual biography in Ephesians 2 your spiritual biography, just like he has already for so many of us in this room. But if you're a Christian here this morning, the story does not stop at verse 3. You love the rest of this section. Point number two, raised from the dead, verses four to seven. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Oh man, there's so much here. Don't you love those first two words? But God. You and I, we're on a hellbound path. Okay, we're like on a bullet train, barreling, head on collision course for judgment and destruction. And again, even if you live for 100 years, this life is a vapor compared with eternity. But God. But God intervened. But God invaded, but God interrupted. God went on a rescue mission. Listen, if you see the language of these these verses, it's so sweet. God was too rich in mercy to let you continue on your path of spiritual bankruptcy. He was too generous with his mercy to keep it all to himself. His love was too great to leave you dead in your sins and enslaved to Satan. God's heart is too great, it's too big with love to turn away from you. So look at the total reversal that's laid out here. It's so sweet. So you get some weird language that, you know, what does that mean? We were sons of disobedience and children of wrath. What? Well, in the ancient world, if you were, well, let me, let me just pick one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What does that mean? It means if you're a peacemaker, you must be God's son because you act like he does. So if you're a son of disobedience, you're characterized. That's your character. You just disobey God. That's who you are. And then children of wrath is like saying children who deserve the judgment of God. Okay, so, so that was the bad news. That's how we were dead in our sins. But God responded to those who are disobedient and deserving judgment. He responded out of rich mercy. 
You see the reverse? Rich mercy, kindness, immeasurably rich grace. So he responded to our moral bankruptcy by investing in us the riches of his mercy. We were, look at also the the reversal. We were dead in our sins and God made us alive. Do you see it there in verse 5? Made us alive together with Christ. Or we were lackeys of the devil, you know, being led around by our nose. We, We didn't even realize it. Following the prince of the power of the air. It was as if he was our God and king. And if God intervenes with the gospel, but God, then we get raised up and seated with King Jesus in the heavenly places. Because he's our king and our God. You see the total reversal? This is what it means to be saved by grace. This is all grace, all undeserved All of it a gift, and it only comes through Christ Jesus. There's one song that we periodically sing here called All I Have is Christ. Listen to some of these words. I think it summarizes this so well. Again, think spiritual biography. This is words right along those lines. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now, all I know is grace. So all of this is only possible because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. The only way we could be made alive from our spiritual deadness is if we were made alive together with Christ. Okay, Jesus had to die the death that we deserve for our transgressions and sins. Jesus had to conquer death and rise victorious so that we could be raised up with him and walk in new life. So what we need to see this morning is that any good news spiritual journey story, like if there's any good news in your spiritual journey, any new life spiritual biography that we have is predicated on, it's founded on the biography of God. It's only the story of God that makes it possible for our tragic lives to turn out in happily ever after. And that's just what Good Friday and Easter are all about. Okay, so this weekend we celebrate the events that are absolutely everything to Christians. We were dead, sins and trespasses. We deserve to be cut off fully, finally, condemned for our sin. Wages of sin is death. We deserve not just physical death, but final death in hell. And if Jesus stayed in the grave, then the story is a tragedy. If he's still dead, then, you know, some people say, oh, well, it's still a meaningful story and an example of self-sacrificial love. No, it's a bunch of nonsense. It's a waste. We're wasting our time if Jesus isn't raised, if he's not alive. But God, God the Father did raise the Son by the power of the Spirit. And that changes everything for our stories.
He demonstrates his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, this innocent, sinless one, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might live. He was condemned so that we could be set free. He paid our debt. He was forsaken so that we could be loved forever with faithful, never leave you nor forsake you love. And he rose on Sunday morning so that we too could be resurrected from our deadness. First spiritually, made alive together with Christ, born again. And then one day when he returns physically, when he returns to make all things new. So some of you grew up in church. And you may have trusted Jesus as your Savior early in life. I've heard a number of people say this, here and elsewhere. You might think you have a boring testimony or a boring spiritual biography and story. You didn't do anything crazy. You never went off the deep end. You never rebelled and did wild and crazy things. You might have heard other people who had these awesome, like, you know, rescued from crazy, destructive lifestyles and thought, oh, I don't have a very impressive story. Are you kidding me? This is your story. And it's a miracle story. Like, do you see that? Every conversion, everybody that's made alive together with Christ, that's an absolute miracle. I don't care if you're the wildest rebel or the most compliant, sensitive child in the most consistently loving and winsomely authentic Christian home on the planet. I wish that was our home. <laughs> um, but even if it was, it wouldn't automatically mean our kids are just going to like, you know, float right into heaven. No. Going from dead in sins to alive together with Christ is a miracle. So Paul goes on to fix our attention on this miracle working grace in verses 8 to 10. Let's look at it together. We were dead. We were raised from the dead. Thirdly, we were saved by grace through faith in Jesus. For by grace you've been saved. This is like the heartbeat of the Christian message. Salvation is not a ladder that we climb up into heaven. He came down to get us. It's a gift, all of grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, the grace, the faith, the whole thing, the salvation, is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So all this miracle work to take spiritually dead sinners and make them alive together with Christ, it is all of grace. From first to last, it's a gift. It's received only by faith, empty hands receiving this gift. It's not your own doing. It is not a result of works. None of us can take credit for it. We are no better than anyone else. So we should never look down some goofy spiritual nose on somebody else because we're no better. Christians ought to be the most humble people on the planet. Paul wrote in, to the Corinthians, he said, what do you have that you did not receive? <laughs> it's an empty set, folks, <laughs> okay? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, 
Why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Because that was one of the issues there. And it's oftentimes one of our issues. Spiritual pride should be an oxymoron, you know? So our newness of life, if there's anything new in you, if, if you love people, if you love to serve people, if you are generous and kind, like our newness of life is not our workmanship. We are not the craftsmen and craftswomen of any love or goodness or kindness or whatever that characterizes our lives. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And even those good works, look at the language there, we were created to do and God prepared them beforehand for us. From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him belongs all the glory. He did it all. We can't boast. So, okay, we've looked at these verses. This is, I mean, Paul's not being silly. It's not because of ignorance that he writes this and says, you, to all these people in Ephesus? Well, you don't know my life. No, this applies. The details might be different, but this applies to all the Christians in Ephesus. And it's the same thing for us. This is our spiritual biography. So how do we respond to this passage? Well, a few, just a few thoughts. And then we'll close by singing a song. If, you, if you're here and you're not sure about those big questions in life, why am I here? You know, how did I get here? Why am I here? Where am I going? Like, what's the point? What's wrong with me? Any solutions? If that's where you're at, you, you may be able, can, can you resonate with being led around by your nose and do you know, the, the, if you're honest with yourself, the, the deadness, the coldness, the, like we even, we even serve people in order to get from them? We, like if we're honest with ourselves, we love in order to be loved? That's kind of like buying love. If you're honest with your motives, like, oh man, I am dead to God. I'm, I'm not alive like this. I don't know this grace. Well, if you resonate with that, if you, if you know that, next point, but it's not just a point. This is, these are the words of Jesus. You must be born again. That's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. He was this religious leader. You'd have thought he'd had it all figured out, but he didn't get it. And Jesus said, listen, you, you, you must be born again. Why are you so surprised that I'm saying this? The words of Jesus don't stop with just you must be born again. <laughs> because of what we've read in Ephesians 2, you can be born again. If, if that's the way you came in here and you're resonating with some of this and saying, I, I'm dead, I can't, what, I mean, what can dead people do? Not a whole lot. But you can be born again. This is a miracle working God that you're dealing with here. So, so think again, look at this passage again in Ephesians 2. By grace you've been saved through faith. Not your own doing, it's a gift. The message, if you are not a Christian, is clear. Do you see that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus? You see that grace? Has, have your eyes kind of been opened to the, ooh, the, the graciousness of that grace? I mean, I knew about the cross and all, and 
But man, this is so kind of God, so loving of God. Do you see your need for that grace, for that forgiveness, for that cleansing? Do you want it? Well, then come and get it. Don't come to me. Come to Jesus. I mean, you could certainly come to me, and I'll, I'll talk with you and pray with you and point you to Jesus. If you have questions, more than happy to do that. But you can come to Jesus right now. You can trust him because you're starting to grasp that grace. So come and get it. That is faith, to come and get it. Are you hungry, thirsty for the, that kind of grace and kindness and mercy? Well, come and eat. Come and drink. It's free for the taking. It's great love, great kindness, great mercy. Secondly, if you are a Christian, but you know what? You know your faith is weak. I'm in that group. You maybe even have given up in certain areas of your life. You've maybe given in in certain areas of life. You're feeling powerless. You're feeling weak. You might feel defeated, discouraged, maybe even depressed. Well, listen. What does this passage have to say to us? The same miracle-working power and grace that saved you is the same miracle-working power and grace that can keep saving you, keep changing you, keep rescuing you, keep giving you power to change, to get out of the rut, to come alive again when you've been kind of deadened and you've gotten cold. Flip back a page in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Actually, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's on the same page. He prayed for them. So these are all saints. These are believers in in Ephesus. And look at how he prayed for them in verse 16. Chapter 1, verse 16. Because he knew that they needed, just like us, to, to keep being changed and transformed by that same grace that saved them. So he, he tells them how he's praying for them. He says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Here, here's why you need the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, that you may know, like really know it, what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then look at this one in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The same miracle-working, omnipotent power of God that raised Jesus from the dead that raised you from the dead spiritually can raise you up again if you are feeling dead spiritually. You are depressed, discouraged, defeated. Resurrection Sunday means we believe in miracles around here. We're dealing with the God who raises the dead. So listen, folks, is your marriage dead? You might have written it off a long time ago because you tried, you tried, you tried. <sighs> oh, you don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. Okay, maybe I don't. But I do know this God who can, he can say, let there be light. He can like throw stars out, you know, just with mere words. I think he can maybe 
work a miracle in your marriage if it's dead. And maybe that's one of the messages you need to take home. The power of the resurrection can be operative in your marriage. Do you feel like you're in a spiritual desert? Not much grows in the desert? Read Isaiah. This is the God who can make streams flow in the desert. It's a miracle. Well, what else would we expect from this God who can raise the dead? Do you have wayward children that seem light years from trusting God? Well, how in the world did that prodigal son in Luke 15 come to his senses in the pigsty? It wasn't because he was so smart. It's just a picture of how God can awaken people that are sleepy spiritually. He can, spiritually, he can raise the dead. And all of a sudden, everything changed. All of a sudden, home looked like hell before, and running away from home looked like heaven, and all of a sudden, it was flip-flopped. Do you struggle with depression? Suicidal thoughts even, some of you? Just hearing about this miracle-working God, is there an ember of hope rising in this God for whom nothing is impossible? Listen, there's a lot of stories in this room, and that's why we need to share our stories of how God did this miracle-working work. That's why we have home groups, smaller groups, so we can get to know each other and get to know our stories and hear how God's worked in miraculous ways and in other people's lives. I know of a high-powered, proud, all roads lead to heaven, pluralistic New York City executive that got saved at the height of his big shot career in midlife. Do you believe that can happen? You know what? I don't know if I did until I saw it happen and I was rebuked. Last night, I watched, if you guys have ever seen I Am Second, that website, if you haven't, write it down, I, the letter, am, am, second.com. Check it out. Tons of testimonies of miracles. So the one that was featured last night, just boom, I pulled it up, is of a prostitute named Annie Lobert. You need to go watch this thing, which we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus loved these prostitutes miracle work that he did on earth and God rescued her in this beautiful, powerful, wonderful way from years of abuse and slavery of every sort. Every Christian in this room is a miracle, whether it's prostitution or whatever, or whether it's just, you know what, saving you from being a little goody two-shoes self-righteous prig. It's a miracle it takes. Our God is mighty to save. So let that miracle-working grace awaken confidence that he has power to help and rescue and change you. That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. So if you're in Christ, your future is radiantly bright. I don't care if you're dying of cancer right now. And I don't say this flippantly. But, but Paul, who suffered more than any of us in this room, said, I don't 
consider the sufferings of this present life worth comparing with the glories to be revealed to us. And why did he have that hope? It's because of the resurrection. Because you know what? Our bodies can waste away, but guess what? That's not the end of the story. We're already spiritually, spiritually alive, made alive together with Christ. And one day, these decaying bodies that are such a pain and it's so hard to get old and to lose capacity and for the horizons to get smaller. Oh no, that's not the end of the story. The future is bright. The best is yet to come because the resurrection is coming and everything is going to be made new, including our bodies. We skipped a little section in this passage. Look at verse 6. But God, being rich in mercy, back and forth, made us alive together with Christ. By, by grace you've been saved. And then look at verses 6 and 7. He raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did he do all that? Look at this. So that in the coming ages, like forever and ever and ever ages, he might show. This is the plan. This is the bright future. This is what God has planned for us. It's our spiritual future story. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian, if you've been made alive together with Christ, you are going to be the object of his grace forever. The riches of God's grace are immeasurable. Okay, so it's never going to be like, you know, this, this, I don't know how you conceive of heaven. It's not this kind of ethereal floating around with wings and harps and all this. Read the end of the Bible for crying out loud. Revelation 21 and 22, it's a new heavens and a new earth. Everything made new. We're never going to get this. It's not going to be this like one-time download like, oh, now all my, my, my goofy questions, you know, are answered. All the things I wondered about. And now it's going to be kind of like holy boredom and singing for the rest of eternity. No. We're never going to come to the end of his grace and say, is that all there is? Is that it? You're never going to come to that point. In the coming ages, this is why he saved you, not to just like, it's not just a get out of hell free card. He saved you because he wants to show you something. He wants to wow you for eternity. He wants to lavish the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus forever. And that future resurrection and that grace is as certainly yours as Jesus is alive. So hopefully we can respond with our hearts in song and say, Alleluia, what a Savior. That's what we're going to sing. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that you would give each of us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of you, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that we may know what is the hope to which you have called us. What are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe? According to that miracle-working might that raised Jesus from the dead. Please hear and answer 
so that we as your people would be to the praise of your glorious grace. In Jesus' name, amen.